The Guardian. Six Nations Rugby with Ian Payne. Well, hello once more. It's the penultimate version of the Six Nations show on guardian.co.uk. It's our podcast with myself, Ian Payne, and a variety of guests. What are we talking about this week? Well, it's been uh, a debate that's gripped the nation. Column inches have been dedicated to it. It's been all the talk in the pubs and the clubs. Who should play at number 10? It was a huge and difficult decision, but now we know that James Hook will play a fly half for Wales in their Grand Slam clash with France. And as for the French, well, their coach has caused a few surprises by actually naming some players we've heard of this time. Meanwhile, Italy will be trying to avoid the wooden spoon against Scotland. Ireland will try to ruin the party again at Twickenham. And a bloke called Johnny got dropped from the England squad, but we'll talk about that later. On today's show, with myself, Ian Payne, the Guardian rugby writer Paul Rees, who joins us from Wales, who's trying to remain neutral but uh, finding it hard. How are you, Paul? Good, thanks, Ian. Good man. Uh, in the studio, we have the Guardian sports writer Claire Tolley. Hello. Hey, Ian, you're right. Rugby writer Martin Pengeli is with us as well. How are you, Martin? I'm fine, thanks. And uh, delighted to say later in the show we'll be joined by the uh, former Bath and England prop Gareth Chilcott. And we are joined from France now by our resident expert on the French team with all its changes, uh, broadcaster Laurent Dupré. How are you, Laurent? Fine, thank you. How do you do? Well, we're very well here and we're looking forward to a very, very exciting uh, finale. Uh, One o'clock, Italy against Scotland on Saturday, England against Ireland, three o'clock, and then the clincher, Wales against France for the Grand Slam at five o'clock on Saturday. Laurent, first of all, do you believe that France can win in Cardiff? Yes, yes. Really, I do think they can win in Cardiff because they never lose in Cardiff in the Six Nations against Wales. That's a fact. And because this is the last game, this is the final, and uh, you've got 11 players who were playing the Rugby World Cup who are here, so this is the first time since Marc Véremont took on ahead of the um, 15 of France that you've got so much experience in the team. Do you believe they can win by 20 points and win the championship? So this is another question, and the answer is no. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, 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 no. This is, this is modern rugby, this is professional rugby, and it's, the question is... France is able or not to trash the best team in Northern uh, Hemisphere, I don't think so. Win would, would be an achievement, 20 points would be a miracle. Let's ask a Welshman, Paul Rees, what do you feel about Saturday's game? Will Wales win or France? I think Wales. I think they're, you know, France have, have chopped and changed, mixed and matched. Wales have, I mean, they have changed, but, but within, a, within a pattern, within a system, um, they're, they're playing with confidence playing with understanding there at home. I mean, France will pose them a different threat in defence than they face so far, because let's face it, Wales and France are the only, only teams in the Six Nations with any sort of creative ability. But I just think the momentum is with them, and, and with the experience of 2005 behind them, I don't think they'll let it slip. What do you think, Claire? What's the key to Saturday? I think Wales have to play intelligently. I think the last thing they um, have to do is to get sucked into throwing out, out wide early on, and thus far in the Championship they haven't done. So all they've got to do is stick with what they're doing. And, you know, as um, Paul was just saying then, they've got to make sure that they defend well. Both teams have got great backs. Um, I think the key is actually, well, as ever, and I know it's a cliche, but I don't think that um, the French pack has necessarily shown that it's strong enough in this tournament so far. And I think, you know, Wales have looked particularly good in that area for a change. Everyone who loves the sport, Martin, would love a game that's open, that's uh, free-flowing, that's got wonderful skills. Do you think we'll get that? Uh we might. I, I wouldn't say everybody who loves the sport would expect that, actually. Um, they want it, not or, expect or, it, or but even, would like it. Or even necessarily want it. I, really? 
Well, a forward battle is a forward battle. You know, rugby is about. You'd like to watch England Scotland every week? <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that far. That was a, that was an absolutely appalling forward battle. I've never seen anything worse. But forward play is forward play. So if it comes down to Wales having to slog it out, I think that one of the great things about this Welsh team is that they can with people like Ryan Jones and they're playing out of their skins at the moment. There's more than one way to skin a cat, put it that way. Uh, Laurent, what do you feel about um, the changes that Livremont has made this season? A new team every week. <laughs> yes, a new team every week. 37 players used, 13 non-capped players, 3 players with only one cap, 10 players with less than 10 caps. Yes, this is a new era, uh, this is a new way of work, and uh, that's why he needs more time, and that's why uh, I do think that he did not think or hope that he could do so well for his first game, for his first uh, Six Nations. I do think that his goal, his main target is 2011, and that the tournament is, of course, a fantastic championship, but uh, you don't have so many games out of this championship to try new players. So that was a heartbreak for him, but he had to, yes, to do something maybe more important than winning the championship. So he's almost, in football terms, playing friendly internationals. He's using these games to blood new players and see whether they're up to it for the World Cup. I think so, yes. Paul, what do you think about that? Are Wales in a similar position or are they just all out on winning this championship? Well, they're all out on winning championships, as they should be. I mean, you know, Laporte had this fixation with World Cup. Didn't, didn't do him much good, did it? Um, I, you know, I, I, 2011 is years away. The Six Nations is a big tournament in its own right. And should be treated seriously. And, and you know, and if France have got one eye on on, on, on a distant horizon, then they don't deserve to win the championship. And they don't deserve it, in my view, for their abject display against England, which I thought. I mean, you know, at least they've changed from the Laporte style of, of stick it up, jumper, and, and impersonate England back to what we associate with traditional franchise running. But they were so brain dead against England mm. that um, I think if they if they if they were to win by twenty points and and, and win the title. That would be an achievement, but they wouldn't be worthy champions to me. I think, though, that, you know, look at which teams have developed in this tournament. You know, as well as winning, it has to surely be about progressing as a team. And France have certainly done that, as have Wales. I'm not saying they haven't. They've done it in different ways, but they've started from different positions. And um, I don't think you can say that about any of the other four teams in the tournament. Maybe Italy a little bit. You know, at least Italy have been trying. But again, they're starting from such a low base. Hmm. But I don't have a problem with what Liverpool's done, to be completely honest. I think that he has... I completely agree with what Paul said about the fact that they didn't play intelligently at all in the slightest against England. But apart from that, he's brought through some fantastic young players who will only benefit from the experience. But, uh, I mean, you know, take Parra, the scrum half against England, brought in for his first cup. I thought he had a terrific game. Mm. And he gets dumped. I haven't seen him since. I can't see how that develops a player. If he's good enough to face England, then he's good enough to face any of the other teams. Laurent, is why it... bring him in, discard them, and then you go? Then... I mean, a tournament. You, you look at the FA Cup now. You haven't got any of the big guns in it. Well, you can say that's exactly how it should be because Cardiff a lot of those big guns are rested <laughs> players in ties, and they've got exactly what they deserve. The Six Nations is a big tournament. You look at it commercially, bigger than the Tri Nations. All right, the World Cup, but it comes once every four years. And I, I just feel that there's been a devaluation what? of the of the Six Nations. It needs to reassert itself. You saw in the World Cup. Comes once every four years, and as soon as it gets to the knockout stage, it becomes almost like a lottery. Why you should plan so much for that, I don't know, because there's a hell of a lot of rugby in between, and it's the now that matters, not four years' time when Mark Lee Avramont might have been replaced as France coach. Yeah, I, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a counselor, or an attorney, or whatever, but something very, very important to know about Mark Lee Avramont, Emilien Tamak, and Didier Rotier. 
is that according to them and deeply in their mind, uh, they picked up the best French players in all the teams they have been building. Even if it can be make smile everybody, uh, that's really what they think. And the reason is they have been in charge of the under-21 world champion 2006. They've been working closely to our technical national direction with Jean-Claude Scala, the former uh, head coach. And the flow of thinking of that house of rugby in France is that the young players have more abilities than, for example, Jose Dumont-Trail or whatever, to play international rugby because their skills are better, because their pace is faster, because their weight is with more cages, and they have more, much more abilities than the players who are 28, 30 or 32. But That's really what they deeply think and believe. I just thought, whatever you think about how France have treated the tournament, they could win it. The final game, they could well win. Well, so, how, how much better would they have done, perhaps, if they'd stuck to their best team throughout? They couldn't have done much better than now. I mean, obviously, they lost to England. That's, um, that was a cock-up on a grand scale. But they're still in with a chance to win the title. So whatever their policy is, however you think of it, they're still there. And, Laurent, uh, the French public and the French media, are they very much behind the, the philosophy of Livremont and his coaches? Uh, the supporters are just like the French team. They can be hot and cold, they can be on off, they can be backing or booing. But I would say that even the loss in France against England, our best enemy, uh, was not a, an earthquake for Lievremont. And the confidence was still here. If you consider the last minutes of the game against Italy, where Italy ended the game much more faster and stronger than France, the support was here. They were singing La Marseillaise to help the players and so on. Yes, he still have a check with no number on it. He can, <laughs> yes, he can consume whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, because the big thing will be next big games on the French soil, which will be autumnal tests and, of course, next championship. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. Laurent, thank you very much for talking to us. Bon chance and uh, have, a good, have a good day on Saturday. Thank you. Au Thank you. Uh, Laurent Dupré, who's a very a great friend of this programme and uh, obviously speaking to us from France. Uh, so let's concentrate more on, on Wales then. Um, Paul, I just wanted to use the example of uh, Gavin Henson. Is, is he the sort of symbol, if you like, of the change in Welsh rugby that, you know, he sort of knuckled down. Warren Gatland has, has got him to think about rugby rather than getting a tan and spiky hair. Is he the, the sort of face of the new serious Welsh rugby or is that too simplistic a view? No, I, th- I think he, you know, I, it was interesting because Gavin was appointed uh, in November last year to start work in December. Uh, Wales had a game against South Africa at the Millennium but two weeks before he was due to start. And although he had nothing to do with the preparation of the team, he insisted that Henson be picked. Of course, Henson be left out of the World Cup on fitness grounds, hadn't taken part in, in last year's Six Nations, um, and he'd gone to the summer of Australia where he came off the bench twice. So he was very much a peripheral figure in the, uh, in, in the national setup. And, and I think by setting out his stall straight away and saying, I want Henson in the team, uh, he was doing two things. One, he was recognising that, that Wales was a country which couldn't afford to waste the talent of somebody like Henson. But secondly, and more importantly, you, you know, Henson's position in the squad had become became untenable in the, at the end of 2005 when he published his autobiography, which, which contained sort of in-camp revelations which other players didn't like, and there was a sort of ganging up against him. And I think by saying, right, Henson's in this, Gatlin was exerting his power and his authority. He was almost like lancing a boil, you know, I'm in charge. Mm. And, he's ta- and he's taken that forward. 
in, in December. And whereas before, under the Gareth Jenkins regimes, under the um, Microdic regime, there was this sort of um, the odor of player power. There isn't any more. And so Henson's come in, but equally, he's not the flamboyant, flash, celebrity-craving character of 2005. He's somebody who very much gets his hands dirty. You look at the way he's playing. It's a very selfless style of rugby, and he's, he's rebelling. And then there was this misconception of Henson, I think, in 2005, that he was some sort of showy playboy. He's always been a very serious professional, taking you know, his, his rugby extremely seriously, works, works extremely hard. He's maybe somebody who's quite shy and, 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 and communicative, shy? and I think that, that, that sort of masks the real professionalism he's got. And you've, you've seen it this championship. Martin, where do you feel this Welsh team is different from maybe the Grand Slam team of 2005, which didn't go on? To, to build on its success? I'd say it's largely different in the presence of Warren Catton and Sean Edwards. England should be kicking themselves every day they see those two in charge of Wales. They've got them doing the, the simple things well um, and very, very effectively against Ireland. They were, they were very, very, very impressive. I thought they probably could have won by more. That 2005 side, I don't perhaps lived more off the cuff, which was thrilling, um, but um, it didn't work as living off the cuff won't. The next season. Mm, well, who's to say, Claire, that this might be just a flash in the pan as well? What gives you the confidence that Wales are going to go on from this? I think the difference this time has been perhaps slightly more of a forward platform. It's about doing the mm. basics right. It's about you know the way in which you win the game. It's about not throwing the ball out too early. It's about going through the processes that you need to. And I think that is you know one of the things that has marked Wales out in this championship so far. And going back to Henson, mm-hmm. I think the other interesting thing for me has been his partnership with Tom Shanklin. You know Henson stands out naturally, but I think you know Shanklin was the player of the 2005 tournament probably. Uh, sorry, I was going to say I wouldn't quite. Necessarily, I think Shanklin, I'm not entirely convinced. Henson, superb. Paul, where do you stand on the, ha- ha- the uh, Shanklin debate? Um, I think it's a good partnership. I've got, I've got a lot of time for Shanklin. You know, he's admitted himself that, because he was a sub against England and, and he had a poor game against Scotland, but mm. I thought in the, in the last two he's, he's, he's coming into it. But he's, he's somebody you want just standing slightly wider because he can, as he showed in the, in the 2005 Grand Slam match against, excuse me, Ireland. You know, he, he, he does have the ability to go on the outside and... Uh, and, and, and create, but I think it's 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 as a partnership that they are that they are effective. Why, why do you think um, that the coach has, has gone for Hook back at fly half rather than Jones this time? That is an interesting one because you, you know you pick Hook and you you seem to be saying right we're going to go out on all out attack and I don't think Wales will do that. And you know the, the, what what will really be interesting for me on Saturday is the kicking stretch against it, Ireland and Italy. They kept the ball in play rather than kick for touch because they didn't want to give the Italians or the, or the Irish the chance to win a line-out and drive malls against them. Now, France, are, you know, the tight five is not, their, is not their strength, but running, counter-attacking is. Mm. So the Wales kick for touch this time, which would, and you would have thought, if they are, they'd have picked Stephen Jones. Or do they, do they still keep the ball in play and say to France, well, come at us? I don't know. I think Hook might be, um, Gatlin might be playing a game there. Pick up getting France to think in a certain way, and Hook might um, might play it slightly more pragmatically could, than, uh, than we think. Could he be hoping that if France attack as they will, then play might break down, and Hook is then there to exploit break? Yeah, but I, th- I think I think where Hook stands out for me, and you know, I know he hasn't started two games, but I, 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 against England and, and 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 against Scotland, some of his play was line. Where Hook stands out for me in this tournament is his ability to create off his own possession. Hmm. And there are a few. I mean, I, I, I don't think Carter's a, a fly half in that mode. He's brilliant in broken play, mm. turnover ball. But Hook just creates. Sp- 
space in the tightest of corners and, and that one try against Scotland where there was nothing on and, mm. and all the way he set up the try on the blind side and Hook just had the ability to take it suck a defender in and pass almost in one movement mm. and and maybe that's what he's thinking it's going to be a tighter game than than perhaps we imagine, and Hook has, just has that ability to break a defence. Well, obviously, uh, the coaches have the uh, opportunity to bring Jones off the bench if they want, so they've got a- another game plan. Just a very quick word before we move on to the game at Twickenham. Um, who's going to win? Claire? Wales just. Wales just? Oh, uh, Wales. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we know... We, you said Wales, didn't you, Paul? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it could be could be one of those sort of tight oscillating affairs. But I, yes, I would expect Wales to, to win this one. Okay, that's the uh, as it's turned out for the television schedule, it's marvelous planning. <laughs> uh, it's turned out that that actually is the final game of the lot. Um, so it's Italy against Scotland at one, England Ireland at three, and Wales against France. This is the climax at five o'clock. Uh, let's talk about the uh, penultimate game, which is England against Ireland at Twickenham, three o'clock start. Delighted to say that we've been joined now by the former Bath. An England prop, Gareth Chilcott. How are you, Gareth? Very well, how are you? Very well, very well. All the better for speaking to you. Now, I know you're a, um, a front row forward, but I want to ask your opinion <laughs> on, the, uh, on the Johnny Wilkinson debate. Should he have been dropped or not? Well, I think uh, with such a appalling performance against Scotland, something had to, to change. To just drop one man, uh, I think, slightly harsh, because it then puts everybody... A focus on Johnny Wilkinson's the fault of of a, a pouring them performance, but whether or not I would have dropped Wilkinson is one of many. Yes, I would do. I think England rugby needs to move on, and, and I for a while have been thinking that John is a hero. You know, he's a fantastic rugby player. But while we're still got the sort of hangover from two thousand and three in the Wilkinson, we need we got for the first time in. In a long time, we've got some great young players that fly, even at just fly out from Cipriani to Ryan Lamb to, to Garrity. You know, give these boys a chance. And really, we need to change the way we play, the way we look at the game. And while John is there, I think we've still got this sort of obsession with drop goals and late kicks and kicking in the corner. So I'm, I'm very much a, a man of saying, thank you, Johnny, brilliant. But now we need to move on to the next World Cup. Can England, can a leopard change its spots? Can England develop this uh, 15-man style that everyone wants? Well, I think it's going to be very difficult. We've got this sort of English thing of fear of losing. And I think a lot of it is, you know, we come back from a World Cup, the French we've been talking about change their way. They've been breathtaking this year. Whether they win the championship or not, they and Wells have played all the rugby and deservedly being at the shootout this Saturday. But, you know, England, we give, we give our coach, Brian Asson, one year. Now, what's he going to do in a year? He's going to look after his own job. So it's short-termism. He's going to just pick players, maybe older players, just to get him another contract. And, and really, we needed to chuck away the shackles and really get rid of that Anglo-Saxon conservativeness and, and really give it a go and be a better side. I actually think the rugby public and the media, if somebody was brave enough to stand up and say, we're going to play youngsters, we may lose a bit, but we're going to be a better side in two years ready for the next World Cup, I think people will applaud it. Uh, that's the former Bath and England prop, Gareth Chilker, also with myself, Ian Payne. Paul Rees, who's the Guardian rugby writer, he's in Wales. Claire Tolley is a Guardian sports writer and the rugby writer, Martin Pengelly, is with us as well. Martin, you were going to join in there. Yeah, I was just going to um, probably harp on the same old theme, but I'm convinced that the rugby public as such, and the key word would be rugby, know that what England do well, and have always done well, is, I suppose, limited, not necessarily 10-man, but forward-based rugby. And Number. Well, rugby union, there are different ways to play it. It's not rugby league. I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but you don't just fling it around and score tries. There's different, different ways to, to score, to, to win. England, the way they won in Paris, put it that way, it wasn't totally one-dimensional, it was 
two dimensions instead of three. It was very, very effective. But why, why can't England change? Or are I'm, you saying they shouldn't? I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm saying you should do what your squad will allow you to do. But, a bit, but Gareth's talking about all these exciting young yeah, backs the, who are not being given their head. If they were, would we be able to, and would Brian possibly be able to expand? But I'd imagine if they were given their chance, which they probably should be, maybe, I thought, with Wilkinson moving out to 12 because Flood's knees damaged and a, a young player being at 10. If they were, we'd still have a monstrous pack. We always will. So why not use it? It's not yeah, a bad I, thing. I, I'm, I'm not actually saying playing not to our strengths. And I think mm. uh, as an old forward, I, you know, you've got to be very realistic to know that games are won and lost up front. I'm not talking about you know, throwing the ball around like sevens. Mm. I'm talking about controlling the ball, playing a slightly wider channel if we're getting technical, maybe that 10 metres out. Given chance, you know, and, and I'm, there's no more prouder Englishman than me. But watching England since 2003, apart from the odd little highlight, France a couple of weeks ago was certainly one of them, mm. and Australia and Marseille was another one of them. It's been like pulling teeth. And, and mm. I think you can play a forward-orientated game with big runners crossing a game line, but also you, you've just got to have that little bit of wider vision, a bigger picture, because in the end of the day, you might win the odd tight game, but overall you'll lose more than it because these sizes, you know, the, the good sizes. I watched the Wales-Ireland game. It was in Dublin in Croke Park, great atmosphere, the tightest game you'll get because they were playing for a mm. triple crown. But Wells, and, and I don't like to say it, but still played the rugby. And it's, England can do that. We're better than what we're seeing. If you look at England, Australia and Marseille, I think that's the, that could be the model. I mean, you'd have to advance it on a, a bit. But England, fine, they won 12-10, scored four penalties. But they played some rugby in that game. There's some very good uh, backline stuff. Obviously, we had Jason Robertson, that helps. That would be the model. The fact is, we monstered the Australian pack, and that's still part of rugby. Mm. Yes, and I agree, but you know, I totally know where you're coming from. The two Southern Hemisphere packs we always muller is always mm. Australia, it seems to be, because of their weakness in their front row. And I think sometimes we get tied up with one game. We win in France, we're world beaters again. I think you just got to look at the bigger picture. Mm. Since 2003, we have not, I don't think, developed. And getting through to a World Cup final was fantastic. And I would have celebrated a Johnny Wilkinson's kick in Paris <laughs> long into weeks and weeks and weeks. But if you ask me now, hand on heart, winning the World Cup would have been good for English rugby. It would have been, but maybe that means there's no change. And what will happen is 18 months from now, we'll realise it's time to bring youngsters on and it will be too late for the next World Cup. Another window of opportunity missed. Paul, it's going to be um, a, a different backline, certainly with, with halfbacks. I mean, Wigglesworth hardly played international rugby uh, you've got a new fly half coming in uh, you've got flood outside him who's not fully fit and has never played with cipriani i mean this this team this backs certainly they're just not going to gel straight away are they paul well you never know there have been instances in the past where players have been thrown together and they have succeeded i think i, do, I just think you know the wider debate with england if you go back to the world cup the world cup was in two phases you had the group stage where they struggled, where apart from South Africa, the other three matches, they were expected to take the initiative, and they really struggled. The knockout stage, where one-off games, anything can happen in 18 minutes, and they started to thrive. The Six Nations, you're back to the group stage of the World Cup, and again, when when they're expected to take the initiative, they can't, and then the one game where France were the firm favourites and England were the underdogs, they were comfortable, and I think that that is a mindset which, which has to change. Now, I would say going forward, England are in very good shape. You look at the under-20s, the way they're playing. They haven't lost the sort of forward base, but there's a real mm. enterprise and creativity about them. And you look at the Guinness Premiership, I would say eight of the 12 teams there are playing a very fluid style of rugby. And the change will come from the bottom up. It won't come from the top down. It'll come from the bottom up. It will be an, an evolutionary process. And you just look back at England-France last year, 
for a glimpse of, of the potential they've got when Garrity came on, when, 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 when Flood played well, and they were, they were all singing, all dancing. Why England have been so conservative after the World Cup, I really don't know, because, because everything is there for them to succeed on the international stage, succeed without losing their traditional forward power, but supplementing it. And the, the poverty of the performance in Murrayfield, um, coupled with the way they, they, they completely lost control of the game against Wales, the diffidence they, they, they shown in Italy. Wasn't the theory behind the post-World Cup conservatism was to get through the Six Nations as best as possible and get through two tests against the All Blacks in June and then think about what to do? Yeah, which is, you know, I mean, I mean it, it, it's fine. It, it's evolution, not revolution. That's yeah. fine. But the games are coming. They're still stuck at the World Cup group stage where when they have to take the initiative, they can't. I think, yeah, I think there's some, there is some evolution going on there, there. I mean, people like, you know, Tom Croft. But we turn, no, I'm talking, it's not just in, in selection, it's, it's, it's in the way they're playing. Hmm. But, but, that, but how would you characterise the way they won the World Cup in 2003? Well, I think, I think then, you know, they, they did reflect the Premiership. I mean, they, did, they just had a superb set of forwards. And, and I know they weren't allowed to scrummage that much in the, uh, in, in the final. But they, every game they, estab- they established a platform. They could, they could win ball, they could retain it. They were excellent at playing for position, and in Wilkinson, they had a guy who would get them three points. I think 2003, you know, we can harp on, and it's a lovely bit of nostalgia. We had great players. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, we had a team structure that's been together. We'd been a top side in the world probably for two or three years, just the beginning of Wayne, but, you know, the, 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 the Johnsons, captaincy, the Hill, the back, the Dawson, the Wilkinson, the Will Greenwood. We just had great players, and, and probably if you'd have picked a world side in that era five or six would have got into a world side. Now it's about developing, and, and this is where the jaw is out. England are not great at developing continuity and selection. We tend to be, well, he's a good youngster, but we'll just give him a few more years in the Premiership and see if he's, he develops. Give him a chance now and know whether he can play international. Most of our youngsters will be in their international side if they were another, another nationality. We have a, a trend in England to pick players probably two years after their, some of their best rugby and keep them on two years after their best rugby. And I totally agree with There's some outstanding players. The Premiership is great. We've got some great youngsters coming on. My concern is how we manage that path into the senior game. Saturday, to be quite frank, you don't mean nothing apart from a bit of national pride, but it's about generally bringing in youngsters to play along experienced players when they're at the top of their game. So you've got a continuity, a bit like Man United in football have done in other great sides. Right, we get that point. Claire, jump in quick. <laughs> All I was going to say was I think the problem in this tournament for both Ireland and England has been that both of the coaches have been under more pressure than people think they have been. To say that the game this weekend, yeah, OK, doesn't matter in one sense, but I think unfortunately to both of the coaches it actually matters very much. Uh, you can always get in touch with us and tell us what you thought. I uh, think by posting uh, a blog on the Guardian website a lot of you have done this on particularly on the subject of johnny wilkins and this is from uh, seagull javia who says mike cat said by his own standards johnny wilkinson has not performed but i don't think there are many other players in that team who lost to scotland who deserve to get selected against ireland i think the phrase by his own standards is the most telling we judge him by different standards we expect perfection it is not possible monsey from birmingham says wilkinson was always pedestrian with the ball in his hand now he's lost what little pace he had he's become a liability and harley 26 says as ever 
People's memories are short. Sure, he's not the player he was, but to say that he can't orchestrate attack, 2002, anyone, is itself bonkers. Also, he was voted the IRB Player of the Year in 2003, an award voted for by international players. Were they all really so wrong? Thank you very much indeed. Right, let's get a round-up of who thinks... I haven't really spoken about Ireland. Um, uh, Gareth, who's going to win on Saturday? I think England will. I'm off to Cheltenham now, so I've been talking to a lot of my <laughs> Irish friends uh, about Saturday's result. But um, I'd like to think England will win. I think they'll come back on a rebound. It could be a, a bizarre game because, as I say, players will probably try different things. Um, Cipriani will be exciting to see. Um, there's a lot of national pride still involved, but I think England will win a, a tight game. Brilliant. Who's going to win the Gold Cup? Uh, good question, that one. I, uh, I'll wait till I look at my form and see which way my wallet back is. <laughs> OK, don't get blown away, Gareth. Thanks for talking I won't to do. us. I don't think Gareth will ever get blown away, do you? Uh, Paul, who's going to win at Twickenham? Well, the forecast is not set fair, is it? It's um, a lot of rain forecast for Saturday, which I think will benefit Ireland. I, I mean, England, England have got to improve with the breakdown from, from Murrayfield. If they don't, they could get turned over. I mean, there should be a, a bounce-back effect. But it could be um, it could be very very tight. Go decided by maybe a Kipriani penalty, or should I say Johnny coming off the bench? <laughs> yeah. um, if Ireland lose, incidentally, they've got lots to play for. People are saying it's a meaningless rubber and all the rest of it. But if Ireland lose, it'll be their worst ever performance in the Six Nations Championship. England have lost three times before a couple of years ago. Claire, what do you think is going to happen? I went for England earlier in the week, and I'm still just about there. I think I. Just, I know that Ireland have got a great record at Twickenham. I know everything we've been saying about the fact that you know they're under so much pressure to win, but I just think that I'm hoping anyway that England can't play as badly as they did up oh, in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> dear listener, I think we have a, a dissenter in our ranks. Who's going to win, Martin? I will same tone of voice and say Ireland. Because? Because I think England are in a bit of a mess, and I think Ireland, Paul O'Connell getting fitter by the game, uh, and as I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, and was proved wrong against Wales, that Ireland have got an A game, so to speak, where they combine their forwards and backs, which is better than England at the moment. So Italy against Scotland is the uh, first game on Saturday. They're billing it as the wooden spoon game. Scotland, yeah, they didn't score any tries against England. It was muddy, it was wet, it was windy, but they won, and that's the point of rugby. How do you think they will uh, build on that in Rome? How will they play it, Paul? Well, I mean, Scotland can only play one way, isn't it? Tight and, and, and stick it in the air. They, they, they're not creative <laughs> they at all, in fairness. And they've got Sean Lamont or, or Roy Lamont, but even with them, they're, they're limited. I just, I just saw at Murrayfield on Saturday, you know, shades of Wales, England, 89 and 93, when Wales won against the odds, but didn't build on it. And they didn't build on it because they, they couldn't. And, I, and I, I, I think there's more to Italy. Than there, than there is to Scotland as a as, as a rugby side, and it wouldn't. Um, I mean, Italy, apart from the second half in Cardiff, have not had a bad Six Nations. Marzi is is coming to terms at last with the with the outside half spot. I just think there's there's a little bit more of a spark to them than Scotland, and I wouldn't be surprised if they won it. Right. So you think Italy to win for you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Claire. Yeah, Italy just about. I think some of their back players actually been not at all bad. And Martin. I think. Scotland. Oh, the descent. No, again. I, I was going to say, I think Scotland, if they do what they did against England, will be hoist by their own petard. Really? And lose. And, and maybe, they deserve to as well. Well, the weather will be a bit better, won't it? <laughs> Probably. But if you can't take on Italy in that kind of game. Wonderful. Good debate. Thank you very much, uh, one and all. That's it for today's Six Nations show on guardian.co.uk. Thank you very much to all my guests, to Paul Rees, to Claire Tolley, Martin Pengelly, and earlier Gareth Chilcott, and from France, Laurent Dupre. We're going to be back for our last podcast of the series. Don't miss it. On Sunday, 
when we'll know if Wales have done both the Grand Slam and the Championship and Triple Crown, and whether it's Scotland or Italy holding the dreaded wooden spoon. Until then, for me and Payne and all my guests, thanks very much for listening. See you next week. Six Nations Rugby from Guardian.co.uk. For more great downloads, go to Guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.